Let's bow our heads before the Lord tonight. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for this beautiful Christmas season. Thank you for the food and the fellowship that we've had. I thank you for the laughter, for the conversations, Lord. I thank you for the lyrics that we just sang. I thank you for each lady that you've brought out here tonight. And Lord, I pray that you would prepare our hearts to hear from you. In Jesus' name, amen. Christmas. The birth of Jesus Christ. Today, there are approximately 385,000 babies born a day in the world. I googled it. So it's fair to say that a birth of a baby is pretty commonplace. So what makes the birth of Jesus Christ such a big deal? I also Googled this. Approximately 2 billion people in this world celebrate his birth and consider it to be one of the most important dates on the calendar. Even in the secular world, the birth of Jesus has huge implications. It is the most impactful event, historically speaking. This event even changed the way we mark time. Whether you're an atheist, an agnostic, or a believer, you'll agree with me that all the time before his birth is referred to as interactive here. I'm a middle school teacher, so you guys are going to be talking back to me. And the time after his birth? A.D. In Latin, that means Anno Domini, the year of our Lord. It's an undeniable fact that Jesus Christ split the timeline in two parts. His birth affected history like no other man. He's unique, unlike any other historical figure. You see, ladies, There have been many great men in our history that have given us amazing contributions. For example, Socrates, the famous philosopher. His work as a great thinker and philosopher stopped when the hemlock poisoned him and he died. It was considered to be a tragedy because his life's work ceased with his death. Julius Caesar, He was expanding the Roman Empire. His work of the expansion was cut short when he was stabbed on the floor of the Senate in Rome. Abraham Lincoln, right? What hopes the United States had for a reconstruction under a wise man like Lincoln? But his work after the Civil War was interrupted at Ford's Theater. You know what happened, right? He was gunned down and he was assassinated. John F. Kennedy. Martin Luther King, great men, great men. Yet each, in each of their lives, their work was interrupted by their death. That, however, is not the case with Jesus. Jesus is distinguished from all of these men because of the uniqueness of his mission. You see, the mission of the Son of God, his life's work was not interrupted by his death. His most important work was actually accomplished through his death. 
He, Jesus, came for one purpose, to die. His death did not stop his work, quite the opposite. We know that his death accomplished the reason for which he came to planet Earth. So tonight, we're going to visit five familiar signs, songs, scenes of the Christmas account in the Bible. And we're going to travel. We're going to travel from the cradle in Bethlehem to the cross in Jerusalem. We're going to travel seven miles on the landscape of Israel, 33 years in time. And we're going to see how the details of his birth foreshadow his death. So I've entitled this message, Seven Miles, 33 Years, Signs, Scenes, and Songs of Christmas. So fasten your seatbelts. Here we go. We're going to read through the Christmas story tonight. We'll be in Luke and we'll be in Matthew through the Christmas accounts. And we'll be visiting these familiar signs and scenes. All right, so let's go. First familiar sign that I want you to look at. So this is a scene and a song, and it has to do with location, location, location. Can you complete the lyrics to this song? Oh, little town of Bethlehem. Our first familiar scene is set in the town of Bethlehem. Join me there in Luke chapter 2. And I'm going to read verses 1 through 5. It says, In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration of Canerius, was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem because he was from the house and the lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. You see, God, through the prophet Micah, had foretold that Jesus would be born in the little town called <coughs> Bethlehem. In Micah, chapter 5, verse 2, it is foretold, but you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me, one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient of days. You see, in those days, Bethlehem was packed with people beyond the capacity of its time. Why was it packed? Because of taxation. There was no room for Jesus to be born in the inn. So now travel with me from Bethlehem, seven miles, 33 years, to Jerusalem. And you'll see that Jerusalem is packed to capacity. The city is booming, buzzing, visitors from everywhere. This time, not because of taxation, but because of a celebration right? The Feast of Passover. In Luke chapter 22, verses 1 and 2, we'll read this. It says, the Feast of Unleavened Bread drew near, which is called the Passover, and the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to put him, Jesus, to death, 
for they feared the people. You see, the religious leaders were threatened by Jesus and the effect he was having on the people. And they looked to be rid of him. And just like in Bethlehem, there was no room for him in Jerusalem either. The second familiar Christmas sign, song, scene. Let's see, do you know the words of this one? Oh, holy night, the stars were brightly shining. It is the night. The birth. The birth. The birthing process. Let's read Luke chapter 2, verse 6. It says, and while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. Easier said than done. Mary, a teenage virgin, is feeling the labor pains. The pains are intensifying, and they're coming closer and closer together. No hospital room, no epidural. No midwife, no photographer, no videographer, none of that. And as the baby's birth approaches, inevitably Mary's water breaks. The blood flows and the baby is born. Ready? Let's go. Seven miles. How many years? 33 years later, outside of the city of Jerusalem, we see the labor pains, that is, the finished work of the cross. Jesus' hands and his feet pierced with nails as he's pinned to that wooden cross at Calvary. There he had been laboring. He was laboring for you and for me. In John chapter 19, verses 33 and 34, it says this, but when they came to Jesus, and they saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once there came out blood and water. You see, these are the same fluids that are present at a birth, blood and water. But what was being birthed from his side? Well, you and me. We're born again because of the fact that he died in our place for our sin. We were being birthed as that blood and that water flowed from his side. Just like Adam in the Garden of Eden, he was put into a deep sleep. And while he slept, a rib was taken from his side. And that rib was fashioned his wife, his bride, Eve the first woman, the bride for Adam. You see, Jesus is called the last Adam, and there he is on the cross in his death, his side being opened up, and from his side, blood and water are flowing because his bride is being birthed. The church, the church is the bride of Christ. As Mary births the baby Jesus in Bethlehem and the blood and the water flowed from her body, so it was in Jerusalem. As the church was born, water and blood flowed from the side of Jesus. Okay, back to Bethlehem. 
the third familiar sign and scene. I think you can all complete this very familiar verse. Are you ready? Let's try it. It's Luke 2, 7. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in... Not a onesie. That's not what... <laughs> in swaddling clothes. Swaddling clothes. And laid him in the manger because there was no place for them in the inn. In Bethlehem, after Jesus is born, he's wrapped in swaddling clothes. He's carefully wrapped. He's lovingly wrapped in swaddling clothes. And then seven miles away, 33 years later, we can read in Luke chapter 23, 50 through 53, there was a man named Joseph of Arimathea from the Jewish town of Arimathea. He was a member of the council, a good and righteous man who had not consented to their decision and action, and he was looking for the kingdom of God. This man went to Pilate and he asked for the body of Jesus. He took it down and he wrapped it in a linen shroud and he laid him in a tomb cut in stone where no one had yet been laid. See the same body that had been carefully, lovingly wrapped in swaddling clothes on that silent night in Bethlehem is now being wrapped in grave clothes and placed in a tomb just outside of Jerusalem. The fourth familiar scene from our Christmas story. Here's a classic Christmas carol. You guys ready? Ready? We three kings bearing gifts. The scene, the magi, the wise men. Matthew chapter 2, 10 and 11. It says this, they went on their way and behold, the star they had seen when it rose out went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and they worshiped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Wise men, magi, making their way to visit the one born king of the Jews, bringing a burial spice, myrrh, among their other gifts, a burial spice for a child? Strange, isn't it? Yet seven miles away, 33 years later, we read in Luke 23, verse 55, this time not wise men, but wise women in Jerusalem. The women who had come with him from Galilee followed and saw the tomb and how his body was laid. Then they returned and they prepared spices and ointments. On the Sabbath day, they rested according to the commandment. In chapter 24, verse 1, it says, But on that first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared, and they found the stone had been rolled away from the tomb. You see, in Bethlehem, the Magi prophetically brought myrrh, a burial spice, 
to the child, and they worshipped the Christ that was born king. Seven miles, 33 years later, these women prepare the burial spices as an act of worship for a dead Jesus at the tomb. Well, that brings us to our fifth and last familiar scene, sign, and song. You guys ready? Angels we have heard, sweetly singing over, and the mountains echoing there. You guys know these. This is awesome. The scene, this is when the angel visits the shepherds. In Luke, back to Luke chapter 2, verse 8, it says this, And in the same region there are shepherds out in the fields keeping watch over their flock by night, and an angel of the Lord appeared to them. The glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. The angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people unto you is born this day in the city of David, a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. Seeing the angel that appears to the shepherds by night, saying, fear not, because we bring you glad tidings of great joy. Now go your way, see this thing, then spread the news. Now seven miles away, 33 years later, we see the angels appearing again. Not to the shepherds this time, but to these wise women, Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James and others, as they made their way to the tomb. Pick up with me in Luke chapter 24, verse 1. It says, but on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb taking the spices they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. They were frightened, and they bowed their faces to the ground. And the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He's not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you when he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise? They remembered his words, and returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to the rest. So just as the angel in Bethlehem had said, Come, see where the baby lay in the trough. Now the angel tells these women, Come, see where he used to lie in the tomb, and go tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. Five familiar signs, scenes, and songs of Christmas. The town of Bethlehem, the virgin birth, the swaddling clothes, the visit from the Magi, and the angel appearing to the shepherds all point us to Calvary. You see, the coming of Christ, the Son of God, had been foretold 700 years before it happened. In Isaiah 7, 14, 
Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. And the name Emmanuel is given to the Savior, and it means God with us. Even before that, the birth, the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus had been foretold back as far back in human history in the book of Genesis. In Genesis chapter 3, the Lord speaking to the serpent said, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring, meaning Jesus. And he shall crush your head, and yes, you shall bruise his heel. Jesus would crush the serpent's head, pointing to his ultimate victory over death and sin on the cross. One of my favorite Christmas verses is found in Galatians chapter 4. It's verses 4 through 7. It says, But when the fullness of time has come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons and daughters. And because you are daughters, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. You see, he came to die so that we could be saved, so our eyes could be opened, so that shackle of sin that we were born into could be broken and shattered, so we could have a restored relationship with our maker, so that we could spend an eternity in heaven. As if the marvelous work of redemption was not enough, there's a little bit more that I want us to think about tonight. You see, he didn't just come to die so we could be in heaven one day, as amazing as that is. But he came to die so that we could bring a piece of heaven with us every day that we live. So that we can live in a way that not only pleases God, but refreshes those around us. Listen. The way that Jesus lived is a practical illustration that teaches us how we ought to live. From the earliest moment of his incarnation in the town of Nazareth, he came to die. The details of his birth, we saw it. Five familiar scenes, they point us straight to Jerusalem, to the cross, to his death. At age 30, as Jesus is just about to start his public ministry, the first thing he did was go to his cousin, John the Baptist, and he was baptized in the Jordan. Why water baptism for a perfect, sinless son of God? Did he need baptism? No. But he was baptized to set an example for us, not only for us to follow him, in water baptism, but also for us to live a life submitting to God and dying to ourselves. He came to Bethlehem to live this perfect life 
on his way to Jerusalem to die. And during his time on earth, his focus was dying. His focus was the cross. His focus was Calvary. In Luke 9:51, it says, when the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem like a flint. That's the Christmas message I bring to you tonight. I was telling Belkis on Sunday that the message the Lord had given me was not very Christmassy. It was more Good Friday-ish. It was more Easter-ish. But you know what? The more I thought about this, the more Christmassy it started sounding to me. Because you see, we wouldn't be celebrating Christmas. Noche Buena would not be that buena if it wasn't for the cross. Death, my sisters, is the key. Did this mindset cause Jesus to, to be depressed, to be morbid, to be introverted? Not at all. Not at all. As a matter of fact, John 10.10, 10, Jesus says, The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I came that you may have life and that you may have it abundantly. People looked at Jesus and said, there's a man that knows how to live. And what did they do? They left their fishing nets. They left their businesses. They left their friends. They left their families. Rugged men, government workers, businessmen, wealthy women. They left everything to follow after Jesus. Why? May I suggest that in Jesus there was a unique quality that was fascinating. And it was his perspective on life. His perspective on the established religion of the day. His perspective on the corrupt government that was governing Israel at the time. His perspective on family, on happiness. His perspective on everything I dare say was in complete contradiction to the norm. To the norm back then, and I would say to the norm today. So that's it. Put simply, Jesus lived life backwards. And that's the only way life really works, is if you live it backwards. Happy holidays. <laughs> Merry Christmas. Feliz Navidad. What do you mean, Ileana? Well, I... What I mean is this, I believe we could live our most meaningful life if we live it like Jesus. You see, all of this is temporary. The stuff, the beautiful poinsettias, the garland, the stars, the lights, your tree, all of it, as beautiful as it is, as magical, as inspiring, will be packed up and put away in a few weeks, won't it? <laughs> Brace yourself, ladies. I have shocking truth. Ready? Whatever is on your Amazon wish list that will make its way under your tree for Christmas morning is not going to make you happy. It's not. It might bring a smile to your face. It might bring you some fun or a thrill. It might be of interest to you for a year or two. But given enough time, It'll wind up used up, worn out, 
tucked away in your attic, in your garage, or dropped off at Goodwill. True? True. That's just the way it is with the things of the world. This life can be amazing at times, but this life can also be very trying. The Christmas season can be a time full of joy with friends and family and church, but it can also be one of the loneliest times even when you're surrounded with friends and family and church. Can it be because we aren't living our lives like Jesus with our face set like a flint? Could it be that we're often looking to this world to bring us joy when these things are just passing? So play this out with me, please. We're going to play out a what-if scenario. What if, on your way home tonight, you were told by a reliable source that today is your last day among the living? What if an angel came to you and said, this is your last day on planet Earth, you're going to be called to heaven at midnight? What if you knew you had a finite number of hours, minutes, seconds here on Earth? What would you do? Would you go home and click on the remote, binge watch your favorite Netflix series one last time? Let's do it. Would you? Would you mindlessly scroll Instagram reels or watch TikTok videos as the clock ticks away? Would you engage in conversations complaining about your college professor, complaining about your bills, complaining about your boss, or how about this one? Complaining about your weight. I dare say you wouldn't do any of those things. I think you'd go home. If you're married, you would grab your husband and you would look into his eyes and you would tell him how much you love him and how grateful you are for him and how blessed you are to be his wife. I think you might pick up the phone and make that difficult phone call that you have been avoiding to that estranged friend or family member. And you would ask for or extend forgiveness for the wrongdoing or the misunderstanding or whatever it was. You might take your mom aside and thank her for the sleepless nights, for the prayers, for the love. I think you might even do the unthinkable. If you have small kids, you'd get them out of bed. <laughs> and with great urgency, you would say, son, wake up. Daughters, sit up. Pay attention. I have something I have to tell you right now. I have important stuff that I haven't had time to pour into you. You need to know this. You need to remember this. And you would go on and you would tell them about the love of Jesus, the amazing plans and promises that he has for them. I think in our what-if scenario, your priorities would shift instantly. You would want to do as many of the important things as possible.
So if the worship team can come up, and, and if you serve in ladies' ministry, if you could just come up to the front now. I want to wrap it up in the book of Luke, chapter 9, verse 21. So this is right after Jesus asked Peter, but who do, they, who do you say that I am? And Peter answers him, you are the Christ of God. This is an amazing moment. Jesus could have stayed there, but instead he goes on to foretell of his death. In verse 21, it says, he strictly charged and commanded them to tell this to no one, saying this, the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And then verse 23, in light of that, he says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and he loses his soul? Ladies, are you so distracted by the things of this world that it keeps you from the important things? Are you numb maybe to the fact that death can come at any time, right? Our, our days are numbered. Do you wanna live a life that's full and rich and abundant and meaningful? You must lose your life. The way to live is to die. The way to truly live is to die. And I don't know where you are this evening. Perhaps you've never heard that Jesus was born to die so that you can have this gift of salvation. And you know you need to have your sins forgiven and you want to receive eternal life tonight. You desire to enter into a loving relationship with God through faith in Jesus. In a moment, I'm going to invite you to come up to the front and to pray with one of these ladies. And by faith, you can be saved. Maybe you know the Lord. Maybe you've received him in your heart. You've confessed him as Lord and Savior. You've tasted of his goodness. You have felt his holy, sweet presence in your life. But lately, you're distracted. Lately, you're dry. Lately, you feel alone. You're not praying or reading the word like you used to. Maybe your to-do list is overflowing. Your life is busy and rooted in the things of this world. So much so that your time and your thoughts are only on the things that are passing away. The Lord tonight is calling you back to himself. He's calling you to live your life backwards. He's calling you to lose your life that you might save it. As I pray, I invite you to come up. Ladies, don't let this moment pass you by. Take a step of faith and come. The Lord, He is gracious. He is loving. He wants to meet you here. He wants to equip you to live that surrendered life 
to live that joy-filled life, the life that points others to him. Let's pray. Father, Lord Jesus, please, I pray. Lord, move in the hearts of my sisters here tonight. If there's anyone here that has never received you as Lord and Savior tonight, Lord, would you save them? Would you save her? That she would go from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And Lord, I pray for those of us who really need to do business with you tonight. Lord, time is our treasure and we waste it away on things that don't matter. Lord, we need to return to you. Father, move in our hearts. Lord, we need you. Pour out your spirit now as we worship you tonight, Lord. In Jesus' name.